Welcome to another episode of the Startup Operator. In this episode, I'm going to be talking to my colleague Harish Vaidyanathan, who heads product at Vimo. Vimo, for those of you who may not know, is an enterprise SaaS application that helps field sales teams uh, do more through insights and nudges. One thing about Harish is that no matter who is in the room, Harish is the youngest soul around. Uh, his boundless enthusiasm for things is only matched by his enormous wisdom. Personally, after three years of working with him, for him, uh, I got to have this long due conversation about what makes him tick. We spoke about what it's like to transition from a large company like Microsoft, where he spent about two decades, uh, to a fast-growing startup like Vimo. His zero-to-one journey of building a product function from scratch, what he advises uh, on negotiating with other overlapping functions, and a bunch of other interesting things. So I can't wait for you all to listen to this. Hey, Arish, uh, thanks so much for making the time in the middle of the day, no less, for this podcast. Uh, good to have you. Hey, thank you so much, Roshan. Uh, good to be here and uh, yeah, always good to chat. <laughs> so, Arish, uh, let's you know begin with your transition from Microsoft to Vimo. Uh, I understand mm-hmm. you spent about two decades in Microsoft. That's a heck of a long time. Uh, and then you've spent the last three years at Vimo. So, what was this transition like for you? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I think it's it was sort of a interesting, I guess, uh, shock therapy at some level. <laughs> but uh, but you know, in, in a long place, I always felt I belonged in a place like this, which which to me itself is a big surprise. Um, if I go back and look at my Microsoft days, right? Obviously, there is a there's a ton of you know TLC and comfort that a big company like Microsoft throws at, uh, at you know, at, at people, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of, you know, how senior you are and so on. Uh, but I always believed, you know, uh, call it humility or whatever it is, but I sort of never got used to uh, the big swanky uh, lifestyle that, uh, you know, uh, Microsoft would throw at us. So a classic example, right? So mm-hmm. if you have to travel somewhere, uh, another, you know, city, Mm-hmm. get a wake-up call in the morning at you know four o'clock from the driver who's at the gate and uh, you know wow literally that's your wake-up call and then you wake <laughs> up then you get ready and then get to the airport along the way he gives you your boarding pass because your assistant has been you know wow. thoughtful enough to give it to him so literally just go board you know land on the other hand there is this on the other city there's a guy okay. holding a placard saying welcome Harishai Wow. So, All the right. startup folks uh, listening to this are literally salivating at everything that Seriously. you Seriously, right? And this, this used to be the benchmark. And even in that era, there have been days and I have driven to the airport because hey, it's just convenient and, you know, it's cheaper and all of that. Right. So, or, you know, take an Ola Uber. So making the transition from that jet-setting, executive lifestyle to something like Vimo was sort of a... In the initial days when I was traveling, uh, it was like, oh my God, I have to wake up in the morning, <laughs> myself. And more often than not, I'll say it's good. I'll just, you know, try my own way. So right. there was some kind of level setting that had happened in the Microsoft days itself, which, you know, helped me ease into uh, Vimeo. These are just material comforts, frankly. Right. Uh, 
think about how much you know you pay for that cab you spend 2000 bucks uh, you know the company obviously charges it on your next and so on right but you think about it you know hey, it's easier if i just drive you know it's 600 rupees of parking or whatever it is right so so in certain ways you know just the transition can uh, can demand too much of you depending on how much you got used to that lifestyle But yeah didn't, you know it sort of didn't matter and that fortunately for me i fell into that second category i could get used to you know being scrappy <laughs> yeah no i mean something that i'm extremely cautious of not that i've ever been tempted at that level is to be lulled into this sort of a comfort zone right right you're not being resourceful you're not being scrappy and that kind of attitude sort of seeps into everything that you do right today you're the kind of guy who will probably want a you know cab to show up at home you know tomorrow you're probably the guy who will spend like 10k more on some software product well you can you know evaluate and really figure out an alternative for that much less right so yeah i mean it, it i don't know i think it kind of translates the general mindset i feel right so one of the other transitions that you also made during this time is uh, you know i mean your twitter bio calls uh, i mean uh, your twitter bio says that you're a reborn maker right so this transition from business to product i mean even though you were managing you know working with developers and so on uh, in the microsoft ecosystem how was that transition from business to product as such so in the uh, microsoft role right i used to work with developers work with startups and this whole cloud thing was starting to take off and uh, one of the companies i used to work with along side many others was vimo and the thing that sort of really intrigued me not just about the company but about this transition was the fact that hey you know we can sit on the other side of the fence and advise startups on how to really you know take advantage of the cloud and solve problems and so on but there is really no alternative to having done it yourself that yeah. was sort of you know one compelling thing that was uh, you know a driving factor and obviously i was also ready to you know ready for the next challenge uh, and uh, sure you know company like microsoft has a lot of opportunities but there is no way to really fast track the learning and you know do a you know on steroids type of uh, experience sure. if you're not really in the deep end uh, with the with the startup and uh, you know obviously i have engineering roles having spent time in uh, other engineering roles uh, and i just felt hey you know after 10 15 years of business it's good to go back to the roots and look at you know what are the problems that we can solve and product is always sort of this you know uh, odd ball right where you have this deep sense of engineering deep customer empathy yeah. uh, being able to understand what the user is really trying to do and then come up with this problem and solution so that sort of you know uh, triad of complexity uh, of the road really intrigued me and that's why i said you know let's make this transition and compared to you know the company transition i think the road transition is what i paid a lot more attention to mm-hmm. uh, because you can get used to not having a cab but you know living like a user thinking like a customer that's a more significant cerebral transition uh, yeah. you know to make yeah no i mean i i can't imagine uh, the amount of shift that it requires right uh, especially at you know after spending 20 years uh, of your career in a certain direction to kind of pivot right, uh, right. so kudos to you on that front i don't know i mean how someone can do that uh, 
So again, coming back yeah. to the question, I, yeah. one, you know, one, thing, one thing I keep telling myself, even when I was making the transition, even now, I believe the transition is still in working progress. Right. It's really not, and Satya at Microsoft says this really well, right? Uh, you can never be a know-it-all. You have to focus on being a learn-it-all. Right? Sure. Uh, right. And it's such a profound thing because learning can never stop. And right. as long as the focus is on, hey, what did I learn from here? What am I learning now? Right. The possibilities and role transitions can be endless. Right, right. And how do you kind of bias to your strengths? So what, like when you kind of, you know, did this transition, right? I'm sure, I mean, you would have uh, been stronger at certain things, right? Uh, so how, hmm. how did you kind of, tra- you know, how did you bias to more of uh, that and, uh, you know? Yeah. So, you know, even uh, even back at Microsoft, right, I would, I always believed that I was more technical than my role needed me to be. It was obviously a business, you know, uh, oriented role, but I still had reasonable technical jobs. So, so that was something which sort of, you know, continued into this role. The other one, and you probably know this as well, is uh, my ability to go find and hire the right people. It's something that I've always been, uh, you know, uh, I guess proud of in some sense of being able to find good people uh, right. and sort of you know help them offload things off my plate uh, so the second one I think played out a lot more uh, well in in a startup scenario like uh, like Vimo uh, right. so I think those two things really made it easy so I could focus on sort of the other complexities of mm. you know how do I get the engineering team to prioritize this over something else how do we make a trade-off. I mean, those are the real problems I had to go solve, but it became easier because I had really, you know, good people uh, who could take care of some of the other problems which I didn't have to. Right. Uh, and I think that's that's just such an underrated uh, skill. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody talks about you know growth and metrics and number, but people give you leverage, like enormous leverage. Crazy like, leverage. Yeah. Crazy <laughs> leverage, right? So yeah, just hire the right person and you're off. You can focus on the next thing. No, I mean, I, I think I've said this before as well. At some level, as leaders or entrepreneurs, and you know, uh, your job is just to assemble the right people and enable them. That's it, really. Yeah. At yeah. some level, right? Uh, so, uh, you know, having spent three years in Waymo, right, and a fast-growing startup, what do you think? Uh, you know, larger companies, let's say like a Microsoft or so on, can learn from startups, and if they can imbibe from startups. Yeah, I think tons of things, right? Uh, the, the single thing I keep telling myself is I probably get done more in one day at Vimo than I would probably get done in a week or a month at a larger company like Microsoft. And, and Microsoft is agile, right? It's a really agile company. But, uh, you know, the, the, it just takes so much effort to turn that ship. Yeah. And, and of course, the company has become a whole lot more agile, uh, yeah. which, is, which is just absolutely amazing. I think that's, that's been said so many times. Uh, agility of larger companies. I think that's one thing. The second is uh, you know uh, lack of meetings. Uh, like there would be days when my calendar was just piled up with meetings, and you'll have meetings to prepare to prepare for meetings, <laughs> and you'll have meetings where you review slides for the next meeting. And like, like just get over with this. So, uh, and obviously, the deeper the organization, the review overload just kills it, right? So you would have a Monday reviews, you'll have a Friday reviews, you'll have monthly review, you'll have a quarterly review. Like just the review cadence is right. like a whole organization that's running, you know, uh, on its own. Right. Uh, I think those overheads are 
uh, painful. So, and when you compare that with what we do, let's say at uh, you know at Vimeo, there isn't a review. Maybe the sales team has a review, but there's nobody else who has a review because all the numbers are out there on some dashboard or some uh, analytics console or something. Mm. So, so in that sense, the amount of time that you end up saving mm. is uh, is significant. Another thing I always like to reflect on is you know just how much uh, empowerment is there uh, in a smaller company around learn iterate fail move to the next one right uh, and in larger companies because i believe because of the performance culture and the you know okrs and <laughs> goals and objectives right uh, the word failure has very strong negative connotation like uh, yeah. whereas in a startup engineering world you know it's like don't fail you know big fail small mm-hmm. and uh, learn and you know iterate adjust uh, that just happens so well uh, in an engineering organization which i think is is absolutely amazing nobody right. celebrates failures but everybody knows that this means there's one lesser alternative to try <laughs> exactly right such a progressive narrowing of the solution the way yeah. you see it in in, in a sort of way the point of convergence basically exactly right. one lesser thing that we work yeah yeah and you know i mean that's a fantastic point right this cost of uh, cost of failing Uh, right i mean it's just a i mean i guess in larger companies the, the cost of failing becomes so huge that you have to kind of introduce all of these redundant structures right right but right. i mean if you look at microsoft right uh, the cloud business is what 10 years old so you could literally look, yeah. look at that as like a unicorn startup by itself right <laughs> yes so, yeah. yeah yeah so you know i mean large companies i believe have plenty of things that they practice as well that could be really useful for startups Right. in your experience you know if i were to reverse the gaze as a big company person formally what are some things that startups could learn learn from big companies yeah tons right tons of things now yeah. what i would say is timeliness <laughs> it's just it's absolutely horrific that you know uh, in vimeo we operate in three time zones all within india <laughs> so there are the early bird time zone there is the normal business hour time zone then there is let's say the late bloomers time zone right and as a result you know there are days when you have that three hour slot in the middle of the day when everybody is in office or sure. everybody is working whatever the right. connotation is and that just becomes so difficult because everybody is like buzzing around like flies because yeah. this is the only time when that engineer and this product manager and that ux guy are in the same room at the same time right so so i think timeliness just aligning calendars together right uh, and 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 my i said this is all india forget like you know us and uh, east coast and west coast forget all that this is just india so right. that's one one big thing uh right. second thing i would say is you know having uh, again it depends on the size of the startup but i would say having clear written down performance goals mm-hmm. uh, and segregating them from aspirations so we do okrs mm-hmm. uh, and i and i really think the the way the okrs are set in uh, at least in microsoft is is really amazing because uh, it's a 3 month thing and 3 months is just 13 weeks if you really think about it just 13 weeks to move that meeting so you know your dow is let's say 30% you need to move that to 31% you got 30 weeks to do it wow right? hmm. and at the end of 30 weeks you do a check and see hey did it happen did it not happen great now we need to go to the next one move right. it out to 35% or whatever it is move the nps up so right it's really running the organization as 30, the entire organization is 30 week people sprints Uh, I think that's something that you know 
bigger organizations have gotten really well versus you know doing annual plans i think those just don't work yeah you can have an annual business plan but you know forget about casting that i i think that's a machinery that small to mid sized startups really need to you know benefit from uh, i would say those are the big two there are plenty others uh, like systems and you know oscillators and so on but lesser said about them the better <laughs> right so i mean we'll we'll talk about that the point about okrs that you brought up right so how important is it to have a uh, an okr commitment rather than have some sort of a stretch okr and say that look hey i mean i know this some arbit number right let's take let's take 100 for example i know 100 is you know sort of impossible but 100 if you hit 100 or thereabouts it will give us like immense scale immense leverage probably like 10x all of our efforts i mean all of our outcomes so go ahead and hit that uh, you know 100 if possible right uh, but i'll be fine with let's say you land around 60 70 right yeah uh, or or the other is you know the other approach is to say i will hit 50 no matter what happens and mm-hmm. then you know i mean i actually hit 60 and then you know i have a little bit of an sort of a accelerator or whatever it is right to make the difference right i mean mm. you know between these two approaches i'm sure like you know there are merits and demerits on both sides yeah. what do you say would be like the meaningful halfway yeah i actually always prefer um, okrs that are a little bit like moonshots and obviously there'll be two three okrs right not not just one mm-hmm. saying i need you to do this this and this and everywhere you just aim for moonshots and the standing instruction with my team is hey if you're all green you're screwed if you're already you're screwed <laughs> so right. that's so the goals have to be like that right uh, which means you're aiming for a star jump and you end up with a moonshot mm-hmm. uh, and that's still that's still good uh, i also think at least for me as a human being like this appeals a lot because mm. i'm always sort of this you know perennial you get to the goal post just move the goal post you get yeah. to the goal post. yeah i'm perennially yeah. like that which is hey yeah. how much more can i do uh, yeah. and personally i find it fairly inspiring to say hey you almost got that moonshot done right uh, which i think is is very um uh, encouraging or if sure you know if you're a sales guy you know they, they hate these kind of moving goal posts right uh, so depending on the kind of person you are the okrs can be terribly depressing or extremely encouraging right uh, but i kind of like that framework which is say don't be all green don't be all red and make sure you therefore chasing chasing the right uh, stretch yeah no i think you always have to be slightly uncomfortable slightly afraid of whatever it is that you're that you have to do right because otherwise i mean you don't know if whatever you're doing is meaningful enough impactful enough uh, i i also feel i mean i this yeah yeah i cannot agree and, and also defining the right ones right like making sure the okr is the right one you're not sort of you know pacifying a baby saying okay now take this okr you get around it is it should be you know, it should be something that makes the other person feel oh my god scared ambitious you know certain days doesn't let them sleep you know uh, right. and so on right has to be in the right discomfort level uh, yeah. you know everybody knows of the, the flow right uh, yeah exactly i was thinking of that same. yeah so chiksel uh, what Mikhail, Chicksen, Mikhaili, about you know how you get it in the right zone, not too far, not too when. Correct, correct. Yeah. So uh, I want to come back to you know your transition to product, right? So in your opinion, uh, what is the essential you know 
principles to building a product function, right? So from your journey of having done the zero to one at uh, Waymo, mm-hmm. what are the what are the most important things that you've realized? Wow. Uh, so <laughs> I would say number one. We could have done the yeah. whole podcast about that, right? Seriously, yeah, that's <laughs> like a that's a that's like a whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think um, one of the things which I remember thinking about when we were in zero to one mm. is what gets us from zero to one should take us from one to ten. Interesting. Right. Uh, and it's something that Yamini's, you know, obviously you she spoke about as well. Mm. It's something that I'll never forget because this was one of the interview conversations that we were having. Mm. Uh, because uh, at some level, again, we, we are based out of India, and I believe, I still believe, you know, if you can go to a billion dollars in revenue, mm. you know, uh, in India, serving India customers, you've got product market fit. Right. Uh, which means you need to be able to scale it beyond that. So, so that's kind of the first thing that I uh, that I always thought about that we make investments that we can scale uh, and not try to have too much regret. Mm. Other thing, uh, again, I sort of dislike this quite strongly. Mm. This whole notion of fail fast, mm. uh, and we spoke about it as well. You know, right. yeah, you need to fail fast, but better at least t- try and don't fail, right? Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. that is the best way to do this. Uh, you right. know, Google can say fail fast, Microsoft can say fail fast, but damn it, if I, every time I fail, it's right. twenty lakhs of investment or right? There's a cost to it, right? There's a cost to it, right? Because right. I think uh, over a period of time, fail fast has just uh, become an excuse to like ship shitty code or you know uh, uh, run a bunch of useless campaigns, try a bunch of useless things. I feel correct, correct. So, you know, so, and and we've done a bunch of those. I'm you know it's not like yeah, yeah. you know God's gift, <laughs> but you know uh, I I looked at those and it's been painful. It's been yeah. painful to look at us failing on something after one year. Right. Uh, so I've really come to detest this notion of fail fast. I mean, if you've got a hundred billion dollars in the bank and funding, and you're yeah. a large company, by yeah. all means go for it. But I think we don't have a fail fast problem. We have innovation at a scale that customers can benefit from and pay you for it. Mm. That is our problem. So, uh, so I would say, thinking longer term about getting to ten x without before even you get to one x, uh, building this system where Fail fast is not uh, penalized, but it's also not the end goal. <laughs> the goal right. is not to fail fast. <laughs> the goal <laughs> is to succeed. Right? And yeah. everything possible to succeed. In, in a number of cases, right, we've actually slowed down ourselves yeah. uh, with reviews and you know design t- discussions and UX. Uh, and you know, a number of people in the process have been like, guys, just shift this damn thing and we'll learn. Mm. Uh, but we've also been very mindful of where do we take those calls. And where do we not take those calls? So mm-hmm. we internally now use this thing called, hey, is this a hypothesis or is this a requirement? Mm-hmm. And then we treat them differently. Uh, if it's not a re- hypothesis, if it's a requirement, hey, you have the time. Get this right. Don't get this wrong. Right. Right. So so that's kind of the second thing. The third thing I would say is and just assembling the right team on the product yeah. organization. Uh, I still don't believe I've got it done. Uh, I've sure. done it in some of uh, some of the functions, but in certain functions, you know, still not done. Uh, right. Hiring great product managers is uh, is still a problem. You know, of course, we are B two B SaaS. You know, Chennai is where the you know B two B SaaS of universe of India is. Mm. Uh, so we have to find some ways to attract more talent, uh, especially product management talent. Uh, right. Uh, so that's an area where I can do more work. Right. 
So yeah, and it's it's sorry. Go ahead, please. No, and I said there are many other things that I'm you know still struggling to uh, deal with. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and product management is such a difficult uh, sort of a function by itself, right? Because literally everyone, it's at the, first of all, it's at the overlap of like business, design, tech, whatever else, right? Yeah. Uh, it's at yeah. the bang at the overlap of all of this, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't really bias one way or another, yeah. right? Uh, which also means that, you know, you will have to in, probably incorporate feedback from everyone, right? All yeah. at once. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's how, a fun function because everybody thinks they can do better it than you. You can. It's yeah, a yeah. Fun so, function. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I wanted, I wanted to ask you that, right? So, how much of, um, how much do you really listen to, let's say, customers, to engineering, to sales, to other mm-hmm. functions? Uh, generally, you know, how how do you figure out how much you should listen to these people and what really goes into the roadmap as such? Yeah. So, as I was saying, right, everybody thinks they know your job and they can do better at your job and one of the things i tell my team is hey guys hear everything but decide what you want to listen to (laughs) (laughs) okay you have to be very selective about this so customer will say hey this button is in the wrong place somebody else will say hey that button is the right place now Mm -hmm. please go make a decision Uh, and one of the worst things a product manager can do in these cases is you know say hey okay i give you a choice where you want the button and that's really not a choice Right. right you made the decision to not make a decision <laughs> uh, and in uh, in the product, this comes up as a configuration now all of a sudden. Yeah. So some of these decisions, uh, you really have to be courageous, and you have to listen to a lot of hear a lot of data points, and then make the decision. That's the first. Mm. The uh, second thing is in terms of prioritization, right? You can get it right only looking backwards. Only after you hit the end of quarter, would you know whether you've done it right or wrong. Mm. Uh, you can do all the planning in the world. You can say, hey, we will do this, this, this. And therefore, at the end of that three-month uh, delivery, we will have a quarter of gold. But uh, only after you get to the end of the quarter, you will realize, hey, was that the right thing or wrong? So it's sort of a uh, rear view only driving. You're not sort of looking forward and driving. That's right. the second thing. The other part, and maybe this is uh, unique to B2B enterprise SaaS, we uh, mm. always have to balance so many perspectives. Like the number one, and I you know, keep talking about this, is what the user wants and what the customer wants can be different things. Correct. Yeah. Because the guy is paying for it, he's not using it. The guy is using it, he's not paying for it necessarily. Right. So so that's so balancing the two becomes really important. Sometimes uh, you can end up doing a disservice to the user because you need to keep the customer happy and vice versa. Right. Those are those are the real hard choices. And right. then you have things like, you know, hey, should I address this uh, tech debt now? Um, or, you know, should we, you know, invest in this hypothesis? Um, like, so, so I try to balance all our roadmap along, you know, four dimensions. Hmm. Um, stuff that's on our roadmap, the stuff that we actually wanted to do, uh, stuff that, you know, is on our roadmap, but it's a little further out, but a client is asking for it now. Uh, we call these client commits. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are strategically in the company's direction, in the product's direction. These just moving them up and down the stack rank. So roadmap, client product, uh, client commitments, genuine product debt. I think of these as taxes that must be paid. Uh, you know, taxes obviously keep changing over time, but these are taxes you must pay. And the last but not the least is you have this notion of productivity, which mm-hmm. is 
what are the things we can do to improve the productivity of the team uh, so you know we are not addressing the same problem multiple times or we're not encountering the same problem multiple times so those are sort of the four categories and uh, it's a happy quarter or a happy month mm. when the roadmap is you know more than half of the stack half of the bike those are good months then there are months when it's not really that bad right right and what is the north star that you aspire to i mean i know that you know one thing that we absolutely measure is daws and so on but i'm sure this has evolved over a period of time right right yeah so um at this point the, the north star metric for us is rights per user uh, i am just shifting that to a ratio of rights per user per session so we want to see the session times go down and the rights go up it's sort of a odd thing we want our session times to drop but rights to go up right so i i understand that but if you could explain that to the general audience yeah so uh, so as a you know if you look at our primary sales uh, primary user persona these are the sales guys right these are sales guys who are running from one meeting to another one customer to another and so on uh, in a pre covid world think of these as field sales people but obviously in the covid world these are sales people who are not on the field that's the only difference so mm. they have a ton of things to do and uh, amongst all the joys of that profession one of the you know these fun activities is entering data into a system right right and that's kind of where vimo comes in so our point of view is hey the sales guy should never have to enter data system should just get up data on their own uh, right. and these sort of be the personal assistants so our world view is you just do your stuff we will keep the systems updated Uh, but even then, there are times when the user has to actually do data entry in Vimeo, hmm. uh, and therefore the metric of rights per user. But we also have this duration or session duration measure, which we want, which is a measure of how much time the user is spending in the app. We hmm. also want that to go down, hmm. which means you're getting your rights done, but you're doing it in lesser time, and you're not spending, you know, two to three, three hours hmm. uh, getting your stuff done. So the whole idea is productive. fast saves time tells you what you need to do next and you just you know get to your get your stuff done so right. so the north star metric at this point is rights per user but we're moving that to rights per user with decreasing session times so ratio of the two right right one of the things that uh, you know you have to do as a product person is to be able to negotiate really well right because you're dealing with all of these different functions diverse stakeholders you know sometimes the customers yeah. prospects users whatever it is right so how do you sort of uh, help these guys uh, understand product culture as such you know for instance i mean how do you help your sales person understand that you know feature x or feature y can be done but it's not in the interest of the product or how do you hmm. help your let's say service delivery folks understand that look i mean uh, this particular thing again i mean it's it cannot be productized or it has to be custom for this particular client or hmm. you know how do you how do you have these conversations how do you get to a point of uh, like how do you get on the same page with these folks yeah so the so the mental model i use for this is one of disappointment <laughs> as a product manager you're always going to disappoint someone Fair. guarantee right you have a, right. and the best part is you have a number of people to choose from it's almost like saying who do i want to disappoint today <laughs> right literally you know uh, it's and I'm, and I'm not it's not even funny actually at this point right. so the right. question is if you are going to disappoint some stakeholder or the other you've got to do it in a way where you know where they can handle uh, 
the disappointment. I almost think of it as disappoint people or disappoint the stakeholder at the rate that they can handle. Not right. more, not less. Right. right. Uh, it's, it's a very <laughs> uh, anti-thinking, but that's the point, right? I can disappoint my uh, users at a particular rate, no more, no less. I can disappoint the customer at a particular rate, no more, no less. So right. you have to just hold that rate of disappointment. Right. And if you're not disappointing people, and this is the big thing, right? Then you're really not delighting anyone. Because then you're just flowing with the tide. Right? You are not making the decision. You're simply saying yes to the loudest customer, the yeah. squeakiest wheel, and just you know allowing that to decide what your direction should be. Uh, yeah. You know, one of our largest customers, like really the biggest customer, asked us for something last August, and I think we're delivering it uh, next week. <laughs> and they pay, they, they're paying us for this. They're paying right. us for this thing. So, you know, obviously it's not easy, but thankfully we've been able to negotiate, adjust, give alternatives, <laughs> and defer this until a point where we realize, hey, okay, two more customers asking for this, and those guys are also equally large. Great, now let's do this. So, right. so you know, it's really difficult, but... Uh, uh, I'm, and I'm also, frankly, very happy going to office and start every conversation. No, we are not going to do that. Right. Now let's now let me listen to everything you have to say. Right. Um, so, and that's that's obviously hard because as a person, even I'm I'm not a no person, right? I want yeah. to say yes to everything. Uh, give me infinite bandwidth, infinite capacity. But so right. I come to this rate of disappointment model. I'll disappoint you at a rate you can handle. No more, no less. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, uh, the surest way to kind of fail is to say yes to everything and everyone, right? Right. Uh, right. And in product, I would say it's not even everything and everyone. It's like most things and most people. Uh, I think one of the things I think we've discussed earlier also is to start with a no and then really move to a yes if it merits that. You know, default is no, basically. Yeah, one one of the things that, and this was a re-emphasis, you know, when we raised our second round, uh, the board member was telling us, uh, I would like for you to say a lot more no and make the yeses count. Uh, he said that in a very gentle tone, but you know, the point was just so compelling. It's just yeah. you know, etched in my head. Like we right. really have to make the yeses count. Otherwise, mm-hmm. your yeses have no meaning. And uh, you know, you're just saying too much yes. So make sure you say far more no's than yes. Right. Uh, but make the yes count. Make every single yes count. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, okay, Arish, let's do a rapid fire round. I will not be, uh, you know, it, it won't be anything scandalous or whatever, but uh, okay. <laughs> let's do a rapid fire. Right? Sure. So, quick answers to uh, one piece of software you cannot live without. Please don't say oh, WhatsApp. Oh, WhatsApp. Okay. And I hate that answer. <laughs> I really dislike that answer. But that's right. What it is right now. Yeah, but it's just, it's just ubiquitous. You can't help it, really. Yeah. So, uh, okay. I mean, this also answers the the second question I had, which is one piece of software that you use regularly but hate, absolutely hate. WhatsApp. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah, anything right. Facebook. Anything Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> I hate. Right. Most underrated feature or uh, workflow that you've seen. Most underrated. Right. Or you could say product also. Actually, it's okay. It's something I'm going to struggle to explain. I guess the Apple experience, uh, it is underrated because having spent really significant, I'm telling you, for the significant part of my life, having lived on the Microsoft world and so on, 
okay. I always was, you know, wondering like, what the hell is, is with this? Is with these Mac fanboys? <laughs> and uh, you know, three years later, here I'm one. I, I am one. Like, like just the. I don't know how people can live without copy paste across their phone and the PC. I just right. cannot. Right. Copy from the phone, paste it on the PC, and back. I think it's magic. Right. Right. Uh, right. right. And I. Yeah. I think it's just. It is underrated. Even though you know I, Apple has an NPS of ninety-seven, I think uh-huh. it's still underrated. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. So, what is the one quarantine hack that you've discovered? Oh, uh, at seven pm, I close the lid on the laptop. It's the significant moment of the day is over, and then it doesn't open until the next day. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, that's one, and the other one you know, is uh, is taking time out during the middle of the day to sneak in some physical activity, like walking, jumping, running, whatever it is. Just ah, sneaking okay. Sneaking items and stuff. Yeah. Or yeah. Pull-ups, whatever it is. Yeah, this kind of compartmentalizing time has become super important now, right? Because it just bleeds otherwise. I mean, you oh, just yeah. don't know, you know, what part of the day you're at, really. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Or what, which day of the week you are at? Like, how many days yeah, yeah. today is the second day of the week? Like, it's just one blur. Yeah. 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 Uh, what book you're reading right now? Oh, uh, I just finished reading uh, Dave Epstein's uh, Range. Uh, oh. Next one I have uh, on my reading list is called The Algorithmic Reader. It's sort of, you know, what do you need to be uh, in this, you know, what does it need to be a leader or a manager of sorts uh-huh. in, a, in an algorithmic world. So it's sort of an interesting take on management change, style changes uh, in this era. Right. Right. So I've been meaning to read the Dave Epstein book as well. On mm-hmm. I think it's about generalists, right? Generalists versus yeah. specialists and stuff. Yeah. 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 Interesting. It's something that I really like, actually. It's a lot of yeah. maybe self-validation, at least for me. <laughs> but uh, I really like the book a lot. Right. Okay. On that note, generalists or specialists? Generalists. <laughs> yeah. I thought you'd say that. Yeah. So, uh, okay. What podcasts do you regularly listen to? Uh, not too much of a podcast fan. <laughs> really? Unfortunately, oh. yeah. I uh, because right now, uh, otherwise it used to be my commute thing. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, right now, not listening to any uh, uh, particular podcast. When I was uh, commuting, uh-huh. uh, there is uh, there are a couple, but you know, can't can't even recall it in top of mind. Right. But I'm definitely listening to this one. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tune in starting. Of course. Yeah, awesome. Starting. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, your best moment in the last three years. Best moment in the last three years. The day um, I joined. <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> the day you joined. Uh, the other one I would actually say is um, getting the first customer on other biggest banks in the country, getting them live myself. Right, right. Having yeah. done everything yeah. from product engineering, pre sales, marketing, everything to get yeah. them live, and yeah. uh, lo and behold, they are now like two hundred times bigger. That must have been a kick, right? That is that is an ongoing kick. That's like a sustained kick. But the first yeah. moment of, hey, here are your first 200 users live. Right. And that was non-trivial. This is almost three years ago, actually. Right. Uh, but, oh my God, looking back, it's just hello. Yeah. yeah, sometimes when you take a step back, you really have to pinch yourself to like see what has happened, actually. I mean, we right. don't get to do that often enough because we're in the grind. But, right. uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, on that note, what keeps you coming back to work every day? Um, 
I, I sort of talked about this, right? Which is I get more done in a day than I would get done in a week in sort of mm-hmm. this role. Just this possibility of, oh my God, I'm going to get so much done today. And there is so many problems that we will actually finish solving today. Mm. Uh, that is just a high. It's just an absolute high. Yeah. Uh, not to mention that, you know, as a as the company, there are still plenty of important decisions that are being made continuously. Mm. Right? Uh, it's mm. not like, hey, all the important decisions are done. It's like, you know, there are a ton of important decisions getting done every single day. And you get to be party to that. You get to look at alternatives. You get to learn, you know, why yeah. that decision is actually better than this one. Uh, I think that is an absolute kick, like a sucker for someone who's looking to learn continuously. Right. Uh, I think that's that's just an absolute hype. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I, I, I would kind of agree with the same thing, actually. It's just the amount of skin you have in the game, right? It's just right. you live your life more deliberately, I feel. Nothing, yeah. just, nothing just floats. You know, Correct. Yeah. Correct. yeah. So, um, okay, to end the podcast, uh, final question to you: What is your words of advice uh, to startup operators who are listening to you know this podcast? Uh, how can they be more relevant every day? Um, number one, I would say is uh, uh, you know look at the problem that you're solving and making sure that it makes some human beings life change you know even if it is one human, one character one you know user section and you change their life for 15 minutes a day that's a good problem but if you can't you know describe your you know product proposition in that manner mm. you got to work on that like solve a precise problem even if it's for some time in some section of the universe uh, that's that's the number one thing uh, the number two is uh, you know, as I as I said, uh, hear everything, but listen to a few things. Don't don't mm. listen to everything mm-hmm. uh, because you know there's plenty of advice going around uh, in general, right? From right. Uh, from preachers of the community. Right. Uh, do you have to have the sensibility to make the decisions on your own? Uh, I would say those are the big two. Right. Right. Harish, this has been a fascinating chat. Thank you so much again for making time in the middle of the day. Uh, right uh, for this I thoroughly enjoyed uh, this conversation I, it, it seems like almost I mean after three years we're getting to have all of these uh, <laughs> all of these yeah. discussions about work right so yeah. Yeah, thanks, so much. thanks so much yeah. hey, thank you so much for having me good time chat thanks for tuning in to this episode of the startup operator every weekend we'll interview operators at fast growing startups and curate insights that can help you do better. This podcast is available on all popular platforms. If you like our content, don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you. Until next time, put your head down and execute.